Happy December, friends and family. I'm really looking forward to this holiday season. Even though we'll be far from our extended family and a lot of you, that makes Christmas pretty bittersweet. But I hope that as we're striving as a family to learn more of Jesus Christ and get closer to him and trying to emulate him, that we can have a really wonderful holy month. I'm aware that the birth of Christ was not actually in this month, but I know that he welcomes any of our increased devotion not because he's an egotist to the slightest degree, but because he knows that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He knows that he's the source of life that brings joy and peace and light into the world. I really enjoy learning about all of your various beliefs and faiths, and I'd love to hear from you too. I believe that we're brothers and sisters, and I'm really grateful to you for your friendship or your familyship, if that's what it is. So I wanted to share some Christ-themed stories this month, and um, I contemplated just like getting on Instagram Live or like recording a video, but as I was writing this out, it got quite long, and I thought to myself, one, I really do not want to take a shower right now. And I don't want people to have to stare into my face for that long. I don't want to put a video together. um, And I don't want anyone to be stuck on the computer for that long. So I just have chosen what I think is the easiest vehicle to get this to you, which is in the form of, I think I'll call it a micro podcast. I think I'll only do it this month. And I hope you consider it an extended Christmas letter from me to you. A lot of you um, share my faith, and many of you do not. Since I wrote and recorded this really quickly, and it's meant to be familiar, I I go in and out of um, my audience, I think, quite a bit. And I just want to give, just say thanks for your grace. There are a lot of imperfections in this Christmas letter, but we're all friends, and I think that you'll understand. <clears throat> Um, so through the years, I've read and collected a lot of stories of Jesus that are probably more off of the beaten path. I think that I often gravitate toward seeing things in fresh paradigms, and that's why it's really hard for me to rewatch movies and reread books. And I'm really not a fan of (laughs) rom-coms. Um, in any case, I, I really like to learn about Jesus Christ through a bit of a different lens, though I do believe that it's still a respectful and a worshipful one. And I wanted to share some of the stories that I found with you. So the first one, the first story I want to share is from a book called He Walked the Americas, and it's written by L. Taylor Hansen. And this is a woman who collected and published stories of a prophet who traversed the Americas, among other places. She doesn't document oral legends outside of the Pacific and the American continent, but her book mentions some of the other travels that she thinks that he went on. There are 55 stories from various tribes and nations, and everywhere he went, this prophet, or some people called him a god, healed people spiritually and physically, and he performed a lot of miracles. He was really gentle with animals, and people just flocked to him. She doesn't assert that she knows who this prophet was. She just collects stories. Um, she posits that he was probably in a scene. 
He could have been a contemporary of Christ and traveled during the first century, or it could have been him himself. She does let us choose who she think, who we think um, this wanderer is. So I looked Hansen up, and there's a, very little known about her, at least online. According to the book blurb, she's a Stanford graduate in archaeology, anthropology, and geology. Online, it's claimed that she went to UCLA for a short time but didn't graduate. This is all to say I can't absolutely vouch for the methods with which these stories were gathered. People may believe them and people may not believe them. And as for me, the character of the prophet who is described matches my perception of the holiness, kindness, and goodness of my Savior. So I do choose to believe many of the stories, understanding that I could be wrong, but I'm also okay with that. The stories are so tender and really interesting. Additionally, one of my uh, current regular podcasts is called Tribe of Testimonies, which is a collection of interviews with Latter-day Saint Native Americans, and it's hosted by a woman named Andrea Hales. It's a really good podcast. Um, And when we were packing up our house to go to Japan, we're making tons of home improvements and getting to ready to rent it out. It was just a super crazy, busy season of life, and I felt like I couldn't rest for a minute. Um, so I needed something uplifting, uplifting to listen to to keep up my motivation, and Tribe of Testimonies really did that for me. All of the stories from this book coordinate really beautifully with the oral histories that are recounted on that podcast, and they're from dozens. The people on the podcast are from dozens of different tribes throughout the American continent. The book is probably not without a fair amount of errors, but on the whole, I do accept the stories and have learned a lot from them. The stories that I'm sharing throughout December are not meant to be put forward as any kind of proof of Christ. The only proof of Christ that is lasting is spiritually testing his word and his promises with an open heart and contrite spirit continually over a lifetime and coming to understand and hear his incredibly loving and kind and forgiving and encouraging voice. I'm still working on this daily and fall short most of the time, but we can know him through spiritual eyes and ears and hearts, and we can just get better at it. So this December collection of mine is meant to add to your joy if you are a Christian, and it is meant to share the reason for my joy if you're not. Either way, It is beautiful in any way to be part of the human family. We are so blessed to be here on this complicated world and to have the relationships that we have. And even the imperfections are part of that bigger plan. There are some aspects to these stories that might be jarring to the modern Christian. And I'm not going to... I mean, not every... um, Thing that I'll share over the month is from this book, but I think quite a few of the stories are really cool and they're interesting, and I will share um, a handful from the book. But for example, um, it was published in 1963, so the language is older and it does sound older, and many of Many of the stories refer to the prophet figure as a white god or a pale god. And I am aware of, and I agree with the notion that Jesus does not resemble Christian Baal. 
I myself, if I had to reason it out in my own mind, I am much more comfortable with Yeshua of a decidedly more Mediterranean flavor with a darker, more olive toned complexion and with dark hair. I don't know if the people in the story were merely reflecting on his shiny resurrected state or if to them he actually appeared to look very white. I don't know and I won't guess at the reason. I'll just read what's there in the text. I do believe Hansen was recording and trying not to add too much of her own interpretation. She isn't a member of my church, um, so she is kind of an outside source and doesn't have the same cosmology as I do. But I also could be wrong. I believe that we ha can have an open mind about the story and really focus more on the essential part, which are the teachings of the traveler and all the changes that he made to the societies that he visited um, and how he taught them about peace and how to not fight with one another. And that is the more important part. Another short side note, the cross symbol is mentioned in the story. And um, in some other stories, it's mentioned that he, there he bears a cross in his hands. And this is actually the same cross symbol that is used widely in East and South Asia. Um, it's a symbol of well-being. It also means peace. It's used on Buddhist temples and it's used in Jainism and Hinduism. And when I, when I was on my mission, I was, it was really confusing to me because I didn't realize that this was the case. And when you'd look out at night in Korea, um, there's like, I don't know if this is still true, but where I was serving, there were always these giant red and they look like swastikas. And it was super confusing because I know that the, like their Nazis have no <laughs> influence in South Korea. It's just like a really homogenous society. So I was super didn't get it. But now I understand that it has been used over millennia um, in many different cultures it's the same symbol that many Native American tribes use to signify the way of truth or the way of life. Um, there are, and the number four is used a lot too. But a lot of Native American groups dropped the use of the symbol after the Nazis horrifyingly co-opted it, unfortunately. Um, and when he says the symbol of the cross, I believe that's what he's referring to and not the crucifix. So I'm going to share some parts of a story called An Old Chippewa Speaks, and this takes place in Michigan, and I'm going to quote some parts of it, and then I'll summarize some parts of it. So I believe that she's at a gathering where people are sharing their stories, and an old warrior walks in, and it says that even though he's almost 80, he had still really long neatly braided, shiny hair, and his teeth were really strong and white, just as his grandson's, and his eyes were keen. This is what he says. It is well tonight that we speak of the pale god, and fitting as well that we counsel with others, greeting our enemies as brothers, for such would have been the wish of the prophet. He then talks about how he's heard talk among the lodges that the lord of wind and water is just a myth. And he says, it is a myth, but it's a really strange legend, and... Isn't it interesting that there are all these common symbols from tribe to tribe across the land? He talks about the cedar. Every tribe reveres the cedar. 
the high priests mix shavings with tobacco to enhance its power. And he talks about the color of snow. He says, among all nations, it stands for peace. And the reason that, that it stands for peace is because he wore it. He says that from nation to nation, he taught the people to live in peace and to speak in council, thus settling all their problems. This was his way in the way of his father. He also asks, quote, why do we raise our hands up in greeting? Because this was his peace sign or tradition, which we still follow. He goes on to ask, why do we use the cross as a sacred symbol? Was it not because he wore it about the hem of his full white garment? and carried the sign in his two hands, those hands so gifted in healing. And that's a really interesting part of the story that I actually didn't remember because I've read through the book a few times, but when I was reading through it this time, I noticed that this symbol of peace comes up as being part of his garment in multiple stories. And this is the last paragraph of what he says. It says, yet to him who walked away through the silver moon frost across the winter snowy blanket toward the north where now is Canada and many other tribes of our people, I bid you see him as we saw this man. From the pines dripped ice like unlit candles as he walked away. His snowy garments made him seem wraith-like while his long hair was silvered by his frost breath. Two wolves followed behind him, one of dark fur and one of silver. We knew that they would not harm him, for he had a strange power over the animals, the fiercest seeking the touch of his fingers. Thus he left us, and to him I raised the peace pipe, the tobacco mixed with cedar shavings, and blow the smoke to the four directions, thus making the sign of his cross. And that's the end of his account. As most of you know, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was raised in a pretty orthodox Mormon way, which included four years of high school seminary attendance, going to a church college, serving a proselyting mission in South Korea, and having a temple marriage. None of these are requirements of my church, but I was totally all in, and I chose them with quite a bit of enthusiasm. <laughs> and about 15 years ago, um, I had a really interesting turn of faith. If you know this part of my story, feel free to fast forward. I know a lot of you do. I won't be offended in the least. Back in early motherhood, um, I had a college friend that left the church, and I began to read and research a lot of anti-Mormon and anti-Christian literature. I read countless heartbreaking stories of people who had been deeply wounded by people of my faith or iterations of my faith. A lot of it is tragic, dark, and difficult. I also read about a lot of historical questions, which some of them, I'm still not sure where I stand on these issues, but a lot of them have resolved over time. I do believe that some of this information is not a complete picture, but a lot of it stems from troubling truths or incidences in my faith's paths. Um, probably there were some abusive people and there were mistakes and the list could just go on and on and on. And I don't judge anyone who's turned away from their religion. And I completely understand how this is possible now. And actually reading a lot of this material completely shattered my feelings for my church. And it felt difficult to keep going on in it. 
Yet, parallel to the shattering, I kept talking to God for some reason, and at some fundamental core level, I still believed in God. I had some mighty wrestles with my Heavenly Father. I was really unsure of my path, and I felt that the cognitive dissonance that I felt was really loud, it was disorienting, and I didn't know exactly how to move forward. So everything about being a practicing Mormon depends on believing it. If you don't believe it, at least for me, then it just feels like a mountain of empty work. (laughs) It's not at least um, the way that I interpret it. It's really hard to just kind of be like half in. If you're half in because you have lukewarm feelings, you might as well just not participate. I know that for some people, the social aspect of it is really important and there's a lot of goodness. But for me, I just couldn't sustain what felt like a lie to myself in the long run if I didn't have a true feeling or a buy-in. So I kept praying um, and I did get some answers, but none of them were super duper definitive. Um, one of the answers that I'll focus on today was, it was just a feeling to keep the door open to any possibility. It was like God was inviting me to just give myself and give the gospel some time. I wasn't told what you're feeling is right or what you're feeling is wrong. I just felt like I was being gently guided to not shut the door So over time, being the kind of reader that I am, I began to balance out the hard stories, which I still believe many of them are true and they have their place because all true stories have their place in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, But I balanced out those hard stories with faith-building stories and eventually the healing effect of the faith-building stories filled the cracks of my heart with a lot of love, a lot more compassion for others. I completely lost my judgment of people who don't understand um, religion. And I had a lot more faith in Jesus Christ. I read a lot of books and stories, stories from around the world of a healer, a great prophet, a God who would return in power, and in majesty to heal the earth. There are so many um, symbols around the world that are used in so many cultures that correlate with the gospel. I've read and heard so many of these stories that it now feels like it's in the hundreds, but that could be an exaggeration. I have been known to exaggerate. I read stories of people who have momentarily died and seen the other side. Did you know that there are millions of documented stories of near-death experiences just in the U.S. alone? This is not a subject I really would have been interested in before I had these deep questions. Um, But I learned so much, and I really um, came to appreciate the revelations of Joseph Smith through these glimpses to the other side of the veil. These stories have so many interesting aspects in common, and I'll share some of them with you over the month 
they're so fascinating um they all tell different sides of a really vast mystery um i read a lot of stories of hypnotists and psychologists who describe really dark things spirit possession earthbound spirits evil spirits just the darker side of the universe and that convinced me that dark things are not imaginary that um, satan is very real and he's becoming more bold but in tandem with that christ's power is becoming brighter and more apparent as well and so that's something to hope for I have read stories of people who have explored the deep mysteries of the gospel that were very inspiring. I've read a lot of stories of angels and temple work. <clears throat> I read stories of dreamers and those who are very close to the veil. And once my eyes began to open to the richness of my faith in the unseen world, More and more richness was added and added and added to it, and it still continues. My closeness and commitment to my testimony ebbs and flows in a really human way. I have four kids. (laughs) I'm pretty busy. And we're very imperfect people. Um, I'm not always tending to my beliefs, and I don't always make great choices. But even if I were always tending to my beliefs, doubting is a really normal part of belief. And I've come to understand doubt and become super grateful for it. And at the same time, it's really hard to deny everything that I've read. And even if one-tenth of what I've read and discovered is true, then the good news of Jesus Christ is really undeniable um more importantly i felt the spirit and tested the ways that i've held on to god's love and the way that he's held on to me and heavenly mother has gently loved me and guided me and christ's love has been so hopeful and in a really personal and specific way. And I've had so many personal prayers answered during this time um, that it's really, there's no way I could deny that I've had um, a rebirth and that I continue to have rebirths. And I'm super grateful for that. And now, even though I was in that hard spot, of being really confused about the gospel for about five or six years. It's been probably um, close to a decade now where I felt pretty solid and where when I go to church, I have a really good experience now. So if you are in like that hard spot, I do not judge like where you end up, if you end up in or out, it's your journey. And God knew you were going to go on this journey. And it's totally like your journey is totally your journey. But if you want any hope that 
like uh, somebody who's super confused about the gospel can regain their testimony it is totally possible and I feel like I get it so much more than I did before even then though I'd done all those super Molly Mormon things <laughs> um, earlier in my life I didn't really get it until I went through a really dark time <clears throat> So anyway, that's why I want to share some of this stuff with you. It's so real and hopeful to me. Um, thanks for being patient as I get a little more <laughs> emotional than I anticipated. And Jesus Christ has the perfect character of speaking honestly to us while still giving us hope for the future. His position is always love juxtaposed with absolute truth, which may be the smallest and widest point in the universe. He just traverses that cross so perfectly. Um, writing and speaking this out has been really sacred for me, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Merry Christmas! Thank you.